What a privilege it is to be here. Let's go, Vista. Are you ready to go this morning? So we are at week three in a five or six week series. And the first two weeks have been critical. They are of the kind of can't move uh, on without it nature in terms of foundation. So first two weeks were like the foundation of a house. This week is more like the first floor, although clearly it's a message that stands alone. But if you haven't had a chance to engage in that content, find a way to do that so that we all make sure we're operating from the critical and crucial foundation. The first week we covered a central truth about our deepest identity as souls created by God with specific purpose and powerful intention. But when we look to culture and society for identity, we set ourselves up for deep, deep struggle and frustration because Jesus told us the shalom of our souls cannot be found in this world. Last week, we looked at some truths about God that are critical for us to build our lives on. If we're to have any modicum of peace and joy in this life, let alone the soul healing restoration of Psalm 23, verse 3. Things like that God is for us, providing for our every need, never going to give up on us, completely faithful in every way, imbuing us with his very own power, having made us co-heirs with Christ. Amazing things like this. This is all because of the sufficiency and completeness of the work of Christ on the cross and his ensuing resurrection, leaving us with the indwelling Holy Spirit, who is our daily wisdom, guide, comfort, and help. And so what we did to synopsize and congeal these transformative truths in our lives last week, we ended with, God is blank and I am blank, or Jesus is blank and I am blank. So those of you that are here, I hope that you left trafficking in those. So would you be willing to share, some of you, uh, what was your God is blank, I am blank that you left with? Jesus is real, I am enough. Jesus is real, I am enough. That's awesome. Who else? What was yours? All right. Let's keep going then. I really encourage you to listen to those messages about our identity in Christ and the truth of God, incredible truths that we have. And whenever we, indwell, whenever we dwell on the incredible truths of God, even for a moment, we can sense, oh, my word. Yes, I can live my life with so much freedom when I live in and on the truths of God. And we looked pretty specifically and proactively about some of the things that have been keeping us from operating in the freedom of Christ. And I've been praying this whole week that you've been able to sense lightness and empowerment in areas where insecurity and uh, even discouragement has maybe long held sway. So to today, the question is this. When we have those incredible truths of God on which to base our entire lives and everything about our entire selves, why do we struggle so much? Have you ever wondered about that? Why is it so hard for us to live lives from this identity and in this kind of absolute security? Does it drive you crazy about yourself on one level? It does me. Well, much is to be found to explain this struggle in a verse for, from 2 Corinthians. Can we read it together? Let's put it on the screen. And if you don't want to read it, no problem. But let's read it together. Here we go. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Keeping it up there, what strikes you? What sticks out to you about this verse? Small g. Small g. So, right away. Right from the shoot, we see that there is a small g God. Wait, what? Of when? Keep going in the verse. A small g God of? Okay, say this age another way. 
There's a small G God of like right now, the time when I live, keep going in the verse, looking to do what? There's a small, there's a working to do to blind minds to keep them from what? Read the rest, see it? To keep them from seeing Jesus. You mean there is a force of our day working hard to occlude the beautiful love and work of Christ? (laughs) Doesn't that make so much sense about what's going on in the world right now? Can't you just go, yes, when you look around? How about even for yourself, when you look into yourself and your own struggle, right? Here's my question. Where did you think all this opposition was coming from? There is a clear and unrelenting assault on faith. Jesus told us there would be in John 10, 9 and 10. He said the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and life to the full. That phrase life to the full is the abundant life uh, as it's translated in many ways, which is the peace and joy that can only be found in Christ. So before he promised us that abundant life, Jesus warned that there would be a thief who would try to steal, kill and destroy. So why don't we think then that a thief is trying to steal, kill and destroy? Why don't we operate that way? And Paul put a finer point on the nature of this assault on faith. Look at Ephesians 6, 12. It says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. (laughs) Take that in. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Do you see that? Our greatest struggle is what? Not against flesh and blood. Humans. Your greatest struggle isn't your spouse, isn't your boss, isn't your grumpy neighbor. Your greatest struggle is where? In the spiritual realm. So until we come to terms with this battle against faith as the context of our days, we will not understand life. We're going to misinterpret 90% of what's happening around us and to us. And it'll be very hard for us to believe that God's intentions toward us are life abundant. And it'll be even harder to feel like we're not just somehow blowing it. You won't understand your life. You won't see clearly what's happened to you or how to live unless you see it as battle every day against your heart. My niece was exposed to the fallout of the Chernobyl disaster and got cancer because of radiation. It was a part of the atmosphere around her. We've been subject to spiritual forces directly against our faith. But if we're not aware, we might not know it or misinterpret it. What is unseen and surrounding is part of us and we must fight it or it'll compromise our health. Folks, scripture shows us that we have a pernicious enemy that seeks to disrupt our connection to God. Many may deny that there's an enemy, but the word of God doesn't. In 2 Corinthians 2.11 and Ephesians 6.11, the enemy is described to have schemes against us. Now, I know some of you, you know what a scheme is. It's a little, you know, a little plan, kind of the not great nature for when a person is what? Most vulnerable. Many people today mock the idea of a literal devil, but scripture clearly states that Satan is real and his goal is to draw people away from God, to thwart God's purposes, and to cause division. Listen to 1 Peter 5.8's description. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking to... Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Devour. The idea of completely gone. And this picture of the lion prowling around, preying on the weakest one. Doesn't it sound like a scheme? 
The implication here is that evil's out to destroy every believer's faith. Your spouses, your kids, your friends, right? How many of us have had a person in our life that followed Christ and we love their example and they're no longer following Christ? What happened? What happened? What happened is what scripture says would happen that there's an enemy to everyone's faith that in five months from now, five years from now, evil's plan is for you to not believe in God anymore, to say church is stupid and faith is a crutch. Jesus is record, Charles Stanley, excuse me, said, if this is all true, okay, it's of utmost importance that we understand how evil is going about this so we can resist him. Listen, if you're having trouble taking all this in, and I can understand if you are, let me ask you, have you had this experience? Something bad happens and you start telling yourself what an idiot you are. Do you really think that source is just you? Or God? Think about it this way. Who would take most delight in you feeling that way? Jesus is recorded as saying in John 8, 44, the devil does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks is a lie. He speaks from his own nature for he is a liar and the father of lies. Do you hear it? Jesus is telling us. Here's how it's happening. And we can see how evil's very first attack against the human race was to do what to Adam and Eve? To lie about God, about God's intentions and about what he has said. Satan's power is in the lie, and as Jesus suggested, he's a master at this. He suggests to us some sort of idea or inclination or impression, and what he's seeking is sort of an agreement on our part. He's hoping we'll buy into whatever's being suggested, offered, insinuated. So the main weapons we need to understand used against believers are accusation, lying, distortion, doubt, and confusion. There's an important passage in Revelation 12, 9 and 10 that's changed my life radically. It's a picture of the end times, the book of Revelation is. In Revelation 12, 9, it says of Satan that he leads the whole world astray, that he led the whole world astray, and he was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. That means that right now on this earth, there are hundreds of thousands, if not more, of fallen angels, foul spirits bent on our destruction. And then Revelation 12, 10, I'm going to say it all and I'm going to say it fast. Is it okay? Are you leading forward? Can we do it? Because it's amazing. It's life-changing if we'll let it be. It's a picture and it, and it says, now there's a loud voice that said, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of the brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Let's go. I don't know what sticks out to you about that, but did you hear that the Bible calls the enemy the accuser, the evil one who is committed to ruining our lives? And do you know why? Because here's why. Evil despises that we uniquely reveal the glory of God. It can't destroy God, but it can do damage to human beings who being in the very image of God reveal the glory of the Almighty. So the war prize in this battle and why it's over you and I is because when we're walking according to the truths that we just laid down, for instance, the last two weeks, God is getting so much manifest glory from your life when you're living in the power and the confidence and the freedom that comes. What happens is evil's like, I'm after that, the manifest glory of God. Evil works to destroy that glory by stealing and marring our security, our confidence and power in and through Jesus. 
In other words, evil is after faith, hope, and love. We can't walk in the restoration of soul healing unless we come to grips with how evil's working to derail us. So, did you hear that first part in, uh, in Revelation 12, 10? It says, for the accuser of the brothers. Come on, what's accusation? What is God trying to tell us here? The word, that word in scripture, I only know it used one other time, and that's in Zechariah 3, verse 1. Accusation. What does accusation sound like? Oh, you're going to ask forgiveness for that again? And you should just do that the night before and the night before that? Oh, excellent. You think God will forgive you for that? If you were a good Christian, you certainly wouldn't have done what you did. Your faith's a joke. You had that hateful thought and you're leading a small group. Nice. If anybody knew your little secrets or even what you did last evening, they wouldn't want you sitting beside them at church right now. You'll never get any better. Look how you're struggling today even after you read your Bible. What makes you think that you can even pray again after committing that sexual indiscretion once again? You're disgusting. Your sexual lusts disqualify you. Oh, you're going to show up at church after that fight with your spouse or yelling at your kids? Nice. You're such a fraud. That's what accusation sounds like. It's highly personal. Like someone's been reading your mail. And I love the fact that the Lord gave us this picture to say that voice is not your own. And in Revelation 12, 10, it said, who accuses them before our God. Did you hear that phrase that was slipped in there? You got it. Day and night. How, can somebody say day and night differently? All the time. 24-7. 24-7. This is happening. Where is it happening? In the spiritual realm. In the place of your spirit. We're being lied to, pummeled, and targeted 24-7 at all times. With things like this. These are just common anti-God lies. Let's look at the list together. There's nothing special about me. I'm fat, unattractive, not smart. I'm not worth anyone's time. I'll never be free. I'm not good enough. I'm not as spiritual as others, so I want to apply, try, join, reach out. God can't use me. Others are more valuable than me. People are all self-centered. God is not real. My efforts won't do any good. I'm a failure. I have struggles and sins no one else does. There's no use trying. The Bible's full of contradictions. I'll never succeed. No one will ever love me for me. I'll never be as good as him or her. I'm dirty. People can't be trusted. I don't have what it takes. I can't be forgiven for that. God doesn't love me like others. God is not good if you let bad things happen. It's not not worth it. It's too late. I have nothing unique to offer. My life's not making a difference. God doesn't make sense. The Bible doesn't apply to today. Ever heard any of these? Or something similar to them? If I asked you to raise your hands, if in the last 48 hours you'd had some sense of one of these, how many hands do you think would go up? The number one thing that sabotages our trust and security in Christ is our foundation, our lies like these. So putting it together, there's a diabolical scheme to get you to doubt the truths of God. And John Eldridge explains it like this. He says, try holding on to this thought for, for a day that I'm a blessing or that my heart and I matter to God. You'll be amazed at how much accusation you live under. You have an argument with your friend or, or person at, at work, and as you walk away, you have a nagging sense of, well, you really blew that one. And if you agree, yeah, I did. Without taking the issue to Jesus, the enemy will try to go for more. Well, you're always blowing it with her. And another agreement's made. It's true. I'm such a lousy Christian. And your whole day is tanked in about five minutes. Can I get a witness? Right? The enemy will take any small victory he can get. It moves from you did a bad thing or you made a mistake 
Two, you are bad or weak or ugly or prideful or whatever else. You know how it goes. After a while, it just becomes a cloud we live under, except as normal. This sort of thing goes on all the time. It's vague. It's not voices in the head. It's not an obvious assault. But it's more of a sense we have, an impression, a feeling that comes over us. The power of suggestion. Now, seriously, if some demon were standing in front of you, we'd attack him and tell him to go to hell, right? You can laugh because that's true and funny. But because we don't live as though we're at war, we just assume these impressions are our own and we accept them and we agree with them and we live under them. Listen, how evil actually works is beyond my comprehension and our ability to, to plumb, but we gotta take these truths from scripture and apply them to our lives. So I know some of you right now are like, whoa, whoa, wait. <laughs> Does hell have the power to whisper new thoughts in our ear or take our thoughts and manipulate them by altering our circumstances? Does evil intensify our dark desires, our sinful dark desires, and simply give us the nudge we've already, uh, you know, for our natural inclinations to follow? Well, honestly, pretty much some version of all three of those. I can't cover them all, but instead today, we're focused on the part where hell's assault to our faith that's internal, in the place of our spirit, because remember, thought one from week one is we are a soul first. You're a soul. You're a spirit first. And for those of you um, that this matters to, yes, in some evangelical circles, there was, a, there was advocacy for a trichotomy, which is advocating a distinction between body, soul, and spirit. The overwhelming majority of biblical scholars believe that spirit and soul are synonymous. I could go through the word study of that, but we don't have time for that this morning. So the point is, if you're not paying attention to the condition of your soul in this spiritual way, you'll be in trouble. Just like we need emotional solutions for emotional problems and physical solutions for physical problems, we need to address these issues of our spirit with spiritual solutions. Because Satan's strategy, as we're saying, is to introduce his thoughts and ideas into your mind and deceive you into believing that they're yours. If he can place a thought in your mind, it isn't much more of a trick for him to make you think it's your idea. He'll play the ventriloquist. So friend, here's what you need to know. Any word or suggestion that brings discouragement condemnation, accusation, that's not from God and neither is confusion, by the way. Even secular psychologists have come to understand that somewhere along the line, the voice of others can and does become our own. You'll never amount to anything. Why can't you be more like your brother? Uh, you're weird. And if we don't refute it, we repeat it and that's where it's dangerous. So I want to ask you, whose voice did you actually think that was? The constant barrage, is that what you would want to turn to your neighbor and say right now? Yeah, God can't really use you because you're past. You, you wouldn't. So what makes you think you want to say that to the child of God in the mirror? This is an important day for us to understand the origination of those things. It's certainly not God. And it's not your own voice until you repeat it. That's when it's dangerous. John Eldridge, in his book, Waking the Dead, says the whole battle plan is based on agreements. We make those agreements with hellish forces suggesting th things to us, and we come under their influence. It's kind of a permission that we give the enemy. He says maybe half the stuff that people are trying to work through in counseling offices or pray about in their quiet time is simply agreements they've made with the enemy. Some foul spirit whispers, you're such a stupid idiot and they agree with it and they spend months and years trying to sort through feelings of insignificance and ensuing depression. Fears of failure, jealousy, 
anger, feelings of inadequacy, lust, the constant press of sexual impurities, the grumpy neighbor, uninvited stress, your daughter's boyfriend, <laughs> marital strife, being haunted by a past regret, ourselves, our ego, our arrogance, our pride, our laziness. At the root of all enemies of faith is the king of lies. All minions, all spiritual entities work to take away your faith and your passion for obedience. Do you understand this idea of agreements? Super fast. Dave, can you just stand up for me? So, yeah, sorry. I'm glad you're tall. So, so there, there, there was a, just, just for a second here, there was a person, there were the delivery people that came to my uh, house, and there were three guys, and they very quickly, after they delivered the furniture, they threw some paperwork on the table, and they were all standing around me, and they were like, sign this. And I was like, what do those five pages ahead of it say? And, and they're just like, come on, just sign it. And I could tell that they were in a hurry, but I can kind of read fast, and so I sort of flipped through it, and nothing looked too bad, and so I signed it because of the pressure right? And then guess what he did? Took out his phone and I saw him flip two screens and went to a blank screen with a blank on it and said, sign there. <laughs> and I was like, what did those two screens say? Oh, the same thing as paperwork said. And guess what I did? Signed it because of the pressure. You're no good. Oh, look, he disagreed with me. Yeah. Like God doesn't love you. Yeah. Uh-huh. See, it's really hard when somebody's in your face, like with an agreement to not agree with it, Right? And that's where we've got to become wise about paying attention to our soul. That's why we're even looking at a series like Soul Healing, because we've got to pay attention to the souls we are. Or how often is this barrage, these suggestions, how often are they coming at us according to Revelation 12, 10? Yeah, and I asked him if I could do this. But it's like this. You're no good. What makes you think God loves you? Why can't you be better with your kids? You made a mistake. That teacher thinks you're stupid. Like, I'm actually, like, I'm actually hitting him. And he could stand here and he could go, like, her ring just hit me. I'm bleeding. He could commentate on it. But until he does what? Yeah. Or stand up here and take my rear end down. Right? Are you with me? I think it's very important, especially for those of us that are visual, to understand this is happening to us in the spiritual realm. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> Regularly. <laughs> Do you see it? It's important. Thank you, Dave. You're sweet. Mm -hmm. It's important for us to understand that is actually a picture of what's happening to us in the spiritual realm. So if you've gone weeks and months, nay, years, without ever engaging this enemy to the beautiful heart that is you, no wonder, dear one, you've been utterly in the throes of depression or anxiety that's stealing your life. You just keep looking in the mirror and trying to fight that one. You're fighting the wrong battle. And maybe if we see one of our friends being beat up, just like Dave just was, we need to start fighting for them and with them as well. So our alerts to when this is happening, let's look at this list really quickly. Shame, confusion, fear, doubt, hopelessness, powerlessness, insecurity, condemnation. These are all anti-faith, anti the life of Christ within you. And so when you feel or sense those things, I want you to hear and see this. Because it's telling you, wake up. Do you understand that's antithetical to what Jesus has done and his spirit living inside you so you're believing a lie? Some people who have trusted Jesus as their savior have suffered repeated defeat throughout their lives simply because they don't realize they have a spiritual enemy. So what do we do? We actually have two options, right? To flee or to fight. 
If we ignore it, we've lost already. I like this combination of quotes from Eldridge and T. Green. To live in ignorance of spiritual warfare is the most naive and dangerous thing a person can do. And let me tell you something. You don't escape it simply because you choose not to believe it exists or because you refuse to fight it. Think about how little time I would start to, um, you know, have Dave be bloodied and bruised without his fighting back or running away. Listen, as far as the powers of hell are concerned, the next best thing to keeping you chained in spiritual darkness or having you live as an emotional wreck is confusing your belief system. He lost you in the eternal sense when you said yes to Christ, let's go. But if he can muddy your mind and weaken your faith with partial truths, he can neutralize your effectiveness for God and stunt your growth in Jesus. And that's the point. Evil wants to take you out for being a force for the kingdom of light and love. So how and where and when do we fight? All right? Scripture's real clear. The battlefield in this war is in your, do you know it? It's in your mind. Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. In other words, what you believe in here will come out. Uh, Philippians 4, 8 says, whatever's true, whatever's right, whatever's noble, if there's anything excellent or praiseworthy, what does it say to do about them? Think on these things. Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good that lose, that God that love God and are called according to his purpose. It doesn't say, and we feel. And then the pivotal one, Romans 12, 2, says, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the, yes, the renew, sorry, yes, very good. The renewing of your mind in Christ Jesus. And don't get me off on neurobiology. We will be here all day. But the reality is that God has made our body chemistry to absolutely go along with the truth in Romans 12 too, that we can be transformed, made entirely different by renewing our minds. He has made our bodies thus. It is true. So great. Evil has no power over you, friend, except what you give by, excuse me, failing to take every thought captive and thus being deceived into believing lies. Listen, our job is to do 2 Corinthians 10, 5, which is to demolish arguments and pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. In other words, do you know the truths of God? So when you hear truths, uh, excuse me, statements that are not God's truth, you can identify it as such. And we do that by taking every thought captive to do what? To make it obedient to the knowledge of Christ. You gotta know, this is so great. When you expose hellish lies with God's truth, their power is broken. So since Satan's primary weapon is the lie, what's your defense against him? The truth. Dealing with evil is not a power encounter, dear ones. It's a truth encounter. When you expose Satan's lie with God's truth, his power is broken. That's why Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. It doesn't say you'll feel, he didn't say you'll feel the truth and the truth will set you free. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. He also prayed, don't take them out of this world, but protect them from the evil one. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Jesus is praying that for us right now. And the first piece of armor Paul mentions for standing against the schemes of the devil is the belt of truth. So, that's Ephesians 6. So, here's what we're going to do. This is a tool for everyone for us to leave here with. And it is a 3R tool that wherever I go, it's like this is such a common way to be able to engage in this spiritual battle, which sometimes is hard to do. The 3R three, three tool is this, to recognize. What do you think we're talking about recognizing? You got it. To recognize the lies, to recognize the scheme of hell. Anytime you can identify one of those dashboard lights, uh, you know, going off, then be like, okay, what, what sort of lie am I believing? What sort of, you know, anti-God sentiment am I being carried along by right now? And then what do we do? We reject it. So recognize and reject. 
reject, renounce, rebuke. I don't care what it is, but we got to have some sense of, no, 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 that's not true. Or no, I don't believe that. Or no, the recognition. Like I said, Dave could stand there and just take it. But at some point he has to go, hey, no, stop. And then we do what? We replace it with the truth. Of course, the wonderful truth of God. And sometimes some specific truths about a situation that's going on as long as it aligns with God's truth and God's voice. So here's what we're going to do. Right now, you have a little piece of paper on your chair, and we have learned this morning that every one of us is under this assault. And so what I want you to do is write down on that piece of paper, what is a lie from hell that you know evil has tried to tell you at the course of your life? Maybe some of you are like, I know that. It's been offered me 10 times already today. And maybe for some of you, this is new, but here's why this is a great moment. Recognition is crucial. And what's in the dark grows and what's in the light shrinks. So this is a great moment of victory in terms of shrinking its power over you. So go ahead and write it down. Then when you're done, fold it in half and just send it towards these two middle aisles here. A bait that you know you've been offered regularly. A lie that just feels like it's such a part of you, it's hard to even remember that it's not, a, it's not your Identity, it's not your reality. Anything that you know regularly, you are baited to believe that is against God's goodness and his love. So reject and replace your part in the battle. Yeah, go ahead and pass them to the center aisles here. Um, when you've written them down, just fold it in half and pass them to the center aisles. Your part in the battle, as we can see with the replace, is to saturate your mind with God's truth. Isaiah 55, 11 says the word of God won't return void. If Hebrews 4, 12 says the word of God's living and active. Colossians 3, 16 says let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So listen, as we're passing those over, you know, I just want to give you all sorts of practical tools. So the most important tool for the day was the recognize, reject, and then what? Let's say that R tool again. It's the first one is what? And then? Yeah, and then? Replace with the truth of God. Listen, the whole point of today is to engage spiritual battle. Here we are. As normal, necessary, can I say, non-weird, part of daily Christian life. You get up, you brush your teeth, you rebuke a lie from hell, you go to lunch, you go to the carpool, you tell a hellish enemy to leave you alone. Are you with me? Seriously, it's just normal. It's what 2 Corinthians 10, 3 tells us to do, that we live in the world. We do not wage war as the world does. Don't put it out on social media. Don't get into an argument with someone in a parking lot. Your greatest battle is not against flesh and blood. Can we take God at his word here? It says the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have the divine power to demolish strongholds. Satan keeps many a person from walking in soul healing and in the power of love of Christ by spreading the lie that there's no war. Be honest. How many Christians do you know who practice spiritual warfare as a normal, necessarily daily part of life? The alarm goes off. They hit the snooze button. They catch a few extra winks, gulp down to Starbucks on their way to class or work, wonder why there are so many hassles, grab some lunch, work some more, come home under sort of a cloud, have dinner, watch some shows, feed the cat, and fall into bed without even once wondering how the enemy might be attacking them. All they know is they sure aren't enjoying the abundant life that Christ talked about. So can I ask you, can you please never go to bed again without asking at least 
What's one lie evil tried to tell me today? What's one lie evil tried to tell me today? Thanks, Amy. Our continual appeal and our final word is this. 1 John 4, 4. You've overcome him because the one who's in you is greater than the one who's in the world. You understand? Greater is the one who is in you than the one who's offering you the idea that it's too late, that I'm not good enough, that God doesn't have the power to achieve anything that he wants, that I'm selfish and stubborn, that I'm attractive, I'm not good enough, I'm a failure, that I need to have the perfect body and be social media pretty to be enough, loved, and worthy, that I don't need to come to church, that I don't matter, that I'll never be good enough, that there's no use trying, that I'm often forgotten, you're forgettable, that you don't look pretty enough, there's no use in trying, that I serve no purpose for the kingdom, that I'm not good enough. You understand greater is you. Can you, can you, as I'm reading these, can you absolutely begin to hear and replace this with the truth of the one who is greater? As a matter of fact, can, I'm asking this literally extemporaneously. Can we just start to have like the light come in the room as we read these so that we know light overcomes darkness in every way? You don't deserve a godly relationship. You're not good enough to be loved. You'll never be free of anxiety. I'm always anxious. I'm insecure. I'm inadequate. I'm unattractive. Do you hear it? What's your response to hearing these? Right. I really wish I could see you. I really wish the light were up because we've got to understand that is not your identity. This is whispered to you in the dark places. This is whispered to you in the place of your soul. And it is time for you once and for all to realize where that is originating from. I'm not strong enough. I'm not good enough. Doesn't this break your heart to know these people are in the room? That these ones are here. That nobody likes me. That people are all self-centered. That I'm a failure. That I can't share my past with anyone. Greater is he. So I'm praying that this is a market down day where this was replaced with the truth of God once and for all. Amen? Once and for all. And so what we're going to do just in that space, if you want to pray with someone afterwards, we're going to have uh, John and Adam and Sherry just on the side in the back in the perimeter who are willing to pray. Don't, don't leave today without this victory being set in your heart. You got it? They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and their word, the word of their testimony. The power is going out of this and the power is moving into the truth of God once and for all. So for some of you, this is the answer to your long-term depression, your bitterness, your self-hatred. You've been fighting the wrong battle. And I pray today you're equipped to fight the real battle. <laughs> You know, sometimes when I don't, I'm just becoming overcome, overcome by feelings of whatever that are very discouraging. Sometimes I, when I can't identify a lie, I just go like this. I just look at the end of the Bible and go, oh, that's right, you still lose. Sometimes I have to even say good game, <laughs> but you still lose. 
And I have a friend who's of a different, um, probably denominational persuasion, and even from a different part of the country than me. You know what she says? She says, when Satan knocks, I said, Jesus, would you get that? What did God want you to hear today? That there's actually freedom from that thing you thought was just you. That literally some of the things that you have felt like, they're just me, they're not just you. So let's together be excited about walking in the victory and the truth of God in even deeper and more profound ways. As we become wise people who pay attention to our souls, and understand in the place of the spirit, there is a battle going on there. And yet, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So sometimes we just need to whisper, greater is he. Greater is he. Greater is he. So Father, I do pray you would seal everything you've wanted to do and why you brought each one of us here this morning. Just help us to be good stewards, not just moving out of here into the rest of our day, but being willing to go pray or just sit until it's sealed inside us by your spirit. <laughs> and I pray, Lord, even I ask just the generosity of your spirit to, sh to have people even feel differently today, but especially even start to see themselves operate a little bit differently this week as they every day go, no, that's not true. Here's what's true. No, that's not true. Here's what's true. as we recognize and resist and instead replace with your truth, your amazing, beautiful, awesome truth that Jesus, you purchased for us in every way. And to you, we are eternally grateful and utterly indebted. You're amazing. You're amazing, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.